Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host Brian Jura and yeah, it's been a while. But you know what? Uh, New year, new podcast and uh, we're going to shake it up a little bit. And uh, David Groveman is uh, uh, technically the guest, I guess, but he's going to act as the host tonight and ask me the questions. So David, take it away. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, This is the second time we're doing this. Um, as people who uh, read our blog, Mets 360, are aware, uh, we both cover the minor leagues, and uh, pretty much every year, both of us do a top 50 list. Your list just published, and uh, what I figured is uh, I'd talk about some of the differences between our two lists, and where I wanted to start overall today is with some of the players that you listed and I may have missed on. So uh, the first player I wanted to mention was Brandon Fryman. Uh, He was on my radar for sure. He was off and on my list a few times. Ultimately, he missed the cut of the top 50. Do you ultimately see an MLB future for him? You know, if you put a gun to my head, the answer to that is no. But he's a guy who's got a couple of things that are interesting about him. Obviously, uh, the last name, uh, the Greybeards among us would probably remember Travis Fryman, uh, uh, former all-star infielder for the Tigers. Uh, Pop Fryman, I think, had a little more pop. He had a little more uh, power than uh, uh, new Met uh, Brandon does. But he makes contact. Uh, the Mets uh, drafted him twice, so uh, clearly they like something that they see from him. I mean, I think the odds are stacked against him, but anybody at the back of these top 50 lists is someone to watch. You know, not necessarily go to Vegas and put a wager on. So I think that Fryman fits that bill. I think he's someone to watch. He's certainly someone who is a, a pretty good pickup for the Mets in terms of uh, depth of uh, defensive capability, which is a, a topic for a, a post that might go on the blog in the near future. Um, not to not to give any hints away on on what might be coming up on Monday. Uh, so the next player I wanted to to bring up was Blaine McIntosh, who was a 13th round pick for the Mets. Uh, he only hit 537 OPS in the GCL. Um, what do you see that placed him in your list above someone like Quinn Brody? When in doubt, follow the money. I mean, everyone knows about the the Mets draft, how they, in the 2019 draft, how they had two of their first three picks were extreme overslot guys, and then they had to draft college seniors uh, from rounds four through ten. And then with the way that the current draft setup is, those picked 11th and later, you can pay uh, up to $125,000 and and not count against your slot. And the Mets picked two guys after the 11th round that they gave that max bonus to, and uh, McIntosh is one of them. He had a a scholarship uh, to Vanderbilt that uh, he turned down to, to go sign with the Mets. And McIntosh has two things that the, the Mets need. One is he's a, a defensive center fielder, and, and the other is that uh, he's, uh, he's one of the fastest guys in, in, in the farm system, hands down. So there, there's certainly a couple of boxes that he checks right there as far as guys that you should watch. And you were, you were asking about him in comparison to, to Quinn Brody. Brody is a guy who's, who's been in the farm system for a while now. Um, I want to say Notre Dame, uh, he was drafted out of some college. So he's, he's not exactly a young guy, and he doesn't do anything 
particularly well. You know, he can he can hit a little bit, he can run a little bit, and he's not bad defensively, but he's already playing in an outfield corner. So, I mean, there's, there's just not a whole lot to, to recommend him other than, you know, as an older guy, he's had some success. All right, so, so it's really an argument of ceiling over floor with that, um, as Quinn Brody is, is pretty close to uh, potentially seeing some major league time, even if it's in a backup or injury replacement role. All right. Well, I mean, I, I think that's probably overselling it a little bit for Brody. Um, you know, he had a, a split season, started it in high A and, and went to double A. And you know, the only reason that he would be on the radar for that type of role is just because the Mets really don't have a whole lot in triple A or double A in, in the outfield. You know, last year they they signed four or five uh, guys with a whole bunch of uh, minor league, I mean, major league experience to fill that uh, upper level of the minors, guys like uh, Rajay Davis and Aaron Altair, to name just two. So I haven't kept up with what they've done in that uh, minor league veteran uh, route, but my guess is that there'll be somebody else like that who'll keep Brody from, from realizing that role this year specifically. Okay. Now, uh, a name that I didn't have on there, who perhaps I should have, Alexander Ramirez, who was really the number one international signee from this year. You ranked him above a previous year international signee, Adrian Hernandez. Now, there wasn't the same buzz that I recall on Ramirez that we've had over the last couple of years with uh, names like Alvarez and, and Mauricio. Care to provide people uh, on the podcast with a primer on Alexander Ramirez? For years, the Mets' uh, focus on their international free agents was athletic middle infielders, and they they acquired a lot of them, and, and I, I think you have to say that it worked out well. And here in the last couple of years, they've, they've kind of uh, switched that focus uh, to more athletic outfielders, and, and that's a good thing. And, and again, like a little bit like what we said with McIntosh, follow the money. Uh, they gave uh, Ramirez uh, 2.1 million dollars, and and ranking him above Hernandez um, certainly uh, a, a judgment call. But one thing that happened to Hernandez, who is another one of those athletic outfielders, is he got a really bad leg injury, and uh, uh, I think he was limited to just like three or four games last year because of that. And I have not read anything about how his uh, recovery is going. So just a little bit uh, of concern uh, with the injury um, with uh, with Hernandez there. Certainly concerning and certainly something that we'll pay attention to and keep people updated on. All right, on to, uh, to another question. In previous years, you've been very hot on a uh, Met draft pick, Mark Vientos, and it seems that this year our positions on Vientos have switched. I saw enough in his season to rank him number one overall, and you dropped him down to sixth. Do you believe his ceiling has dropped? Well, um, I, I guess that's a two-part uh, answer. I think that um, it, it's not so much that it's it's dropped. I mean, he went from uh, third last year on my list to, to, to sixth this year. But you, you look at what happened, and uh, first off, uh, Thomas Sabuki came back and, and pitched really well. 
and then they had the big 2019 draft and 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 got Matthew Allen who I'm very bullish on and then uh, Alvarez came by and and had an outstanding offensive season for a catcher uh, and uh, catchers with uh, that kind of offensive upgrade uh, upside you know they just don't grow on trees so I, I don't know if it's Vientos fell as much as the Mets added talent or guys that they already had in the system, you know, really flourished. But uh, going looking at Vientos himself, I mean, he's a boom or bust player, um, and and I think that if you look at um, his chances of cashing in on his potential, I mean, I think that he and and uh, Mauricio, they both have similar top level uh, upside uh, even if it would take shape in a take form in a different shape certainly Vientos is going to be power heavy and and Mauricio is going to bring a wider range of skills to the table if he he, if he cashes in on his on his promise but um, I I do uh, I do think that Mauricio because of that wide level of skills is more likely to reach his ceiling than, uh, than Vientos is. Moving on to our third question. A player that you seem to be hotter on than me is Junior Santos. I know he's a physically gifted player, but when you, you look at all those physical gifts, at some point it needs to translate into statistics. When do you foresee we're going to start seeing that statistical success from him? Well, let's look at it this way. Last year he was 17. And like you mentioned, he didn't have uh, particularly great statistical results. But let's say it takes him four years to all of a sudden put up the, the, the results to, to match his, uh, his stuff. At that case, he's 21 years old, and he's two years younger than, than, uh, than Brody is right now. You know, I'm not worried about the, the results. I'm, I'm worried about him not getting uh, hammered and, and just shell-shocked. Uh, so right now it's all about him getting experience and showing improvement and to me he he upped his k per nine rate almost a, a full uh, a full point from from 2018 all while facing more advanced hitters and ideally in here in 2020 he'll throw more innings and he'll issue fewer walks so he'll continue to take those uh, steps of improvement and if it if it translates into great statistical success at at 18 for him super and if not i'm not concerned all right well i can i can understand that you certainly have a time have time on a player like santos to watch him develop in the lower levels of the minors now a player that we seem fairly aligned on is ali sanchez do you think we're going to see Ali Sanchez in Queens in 2020? And if we do, what do you think that impact at the major league level might be? Well, you know, I think uh, Sanchez is going to make a, a fine uh, backup catcher because he's uh, uh, a highly rated uh, defensive backstop, but he hasn't proven that he can hit, or certainly he can't hit for any power. And you know the the Mets already have a, a fine defensive backstop who can't really hit, but he can hit for a little bit of power, and that's uh, Tomas Nito. So um, it, it's hard to see a path right now for Sanchez to the majors. You know, I guess there could be an injury, 
and uh, there could be a September call-up. Those those are his two paths this year, but I don't really see either one of those being uh, necessarily a, a ticket for a, a ton of playing time. You know, if if Ramos gets injured and it's a, a serious injury, you'd almost have to think that the Mets have to make a trade because I don't think they can go with uh, two guys who are too similar in, in Nito and Sanchez as their their uh, their catching tandem. You know, you could you could muddle through that for two weeks. I, I don't think you can do that for eight weeks. So if if uh, if if Ramos has a major injury, then I think the Mets need to make a move. If Nito has the injury, well, then yeah, then you, you slot Sanchez into Nito's slot, but then you're looking at a guy who's playing once a week, and, and how big of an impact can he have? How big of an impact can a guy who can't hit can he have in playing once a week? So, um, I don't know. Um, to, to me, I, I don't see a huge impact from, uh, from Sanchez. Uh, he hasn't shown that he's better than Nito. And, you know, that's not exactly a very high bar now, is it? No, it isn't a particularly high bar, although he does have very good defensive metrics, just like Nito. And I'm pretty much aligned with you all along the board. I think that if Nito gets an injury, then Sanchez is an obvious uh, candidate to, to get that promotion to fill in for Nito while he's hurt. But if Ramos gets the injury, you need you need some offensive pop. Um course there's there's the name that that must be mentioned in every single one of our podcasts and that's jeff mcneil not jeff mcneil that uh oh god don't uh, say patrick, it don't say patrick, it patrick <laughs> mazeka uh who, who actually got a, a spring training invite but yeah no yeah the mets would have to make a trade to to replace uh ramos if ramos was injured for any substantial period of time all right moving on uh, you seem to have some major concerns about Franklin Colomb's health. Uh, should we as fans be worried about his lack of Winter League outings? Uh, I know that when I was looking at the lack of Winter League outings, I felt like the Mets just decided that it was more important to get him into the actual minor league uh, uh, season and let him be fully healthy when that began. But uh, you seem to be reading more into those Winter League uh, missed uh, opportunities. Well, I think that unfortunately with the the Mets, we've seen uh, quite a few pitchers who we were interested in come down with uh, TGA surgery. And I don't think that we see an immediate comeback from any of them. You know, we, we got Humphreys missed all of 2018 and almost all of 2019. I think he made two starts in the Gulf. So essentially he loses two years. Anthony Kay missed all of 2017 and while he came back and pitched in 2018 he really wasn't good the only thing he did was he got innings and not that that's nothing but he didn't come back and, and immediately it took him that extra year and then last year we saw him really jump to the to the top of the the Mets prospect list before before he got uh, dealt in the uh, Stroman deal and then Sapuki. He, he missed most of 2017, all of 2018, and even when he came back in 2019, the Mets treated him with kid gloves. So it really took a while for him to, to, to put the TJ surgery behind him. So Colome missed all of last year, but he's also going to turn 25 in June, and he hasn't really had a full season, a full successful season in AA yet. He did well when the Mets got him, uh, but 
prior to that when he was with the Phillies, he wasn't good at all. So I think time's working against him. And then given the, the history of what the Mets have had with their TJ pitchers and the minors previously, I, I think that uh, I'm right to be bearish on him. Well, one of the things that I see for Colome, and I know that a lot of people have talked about a potential move to the bullpen for him, but I could really see him having an impact on the Mets in 2020 if they need that power arm in the bullpen, if if the usual suspects of, of relief pitchers for those back spots all fail, as, as I think we, we sort of expect the bachelors and roms of the world to do, then Colome becomes a really attractive option later in the season. But is he more attractive than Sapuki in that same role? Uh, you make an interesting point. I just I see Sapuki as a as a starter, and I I hate moving him into the bullpen where I don't mind moving Colome into the bullpen. All right. Well, you know I, I think that if you have the choice between uh, a guy, two guys who are are somewhat similar in that lefties who, who throw hard, who could be the, 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 the guy to come in and throw heat from that position. I, I think you would take the guy who, who certainly is more is healthier right now. And, and that would be Sapuki. Understood. And, and it's hard to argue that another player that I am more enamored with than you are is Wagner LaGrange. Now, what does uh, LaGrange need to do in his 2020 season to get up into that top 20 of your prospect list for your next year's uh, top 50? You know, you say you started this off by saying that uh, you're you're more um, bullish on him than I am. And I would say that it's probably even the 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 gulf between our opinions is, is probably even higher because I, I think I probably overranked him here on, on, on my current list. Um, you know, the, the things he does well, he, he makes really good contact and, and uh, he, he hits a, a good number of singles. So he doesn't have very much power. So he's going to have to get his walks up uh, in, in order to be, you know, uh, an, an interesting guy rather than someone who could come up and be your fifth outfielder for a couple of weeks when uh, somebody goes on the injured list. So uh, he, he's just not uh, guys who are all average and, and not much else. They, they don't interest me much. And, and unfortunately, that's where I think LaGrange sits. Now, I'm, I'm interested to find out how he, he ranks defensively. I know I usually put him out at a corner outfield position, but he does seem to have a little bit of speed. And I wonder if he could develop into that that sort of nice depth all outfield position type player. Yeah, I've I've seen him a, a couple of times, and and that's rare. Uh, not many people on these lists have I actually seen play, but I've I've seen Lagrange play a couple of times, and and he's the type that I think that if you had to play him in 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 center for a couple of games, he wouldn't hurt you, but you wouldn't want him there any longer than that. Uh, okay. Well, uh, that's good because I don't think I've I've gotten to see him him in any of my live scouting down in Brooklyn or up in Binghamton. All right, so I want I want you to think back now for this next question. So once upon a time, I made a prediction and I was ridiculed because I adamantly stated that Jacob Degrom would have a brighter future than Rafael Montero. Now um, I want you to recall from your past in prospect predictions a time that you've been right and everyone else was very wrong. Can you give me any predictions of yours like that? Well, I, I think that if you ever 
put out one of these lists and, and then you go and, and evaluate it, you're always going to find more misses or, or things that make you cringe or, or maybe that's just me, but the, the negative ones always seem to stand out in, in my mind more. Uh, certainly I was uh, one of Montero's biggest backers. Uh, one year, Greg Vaughn, I think, hit 15 home runs in Brooklyn, and I was convinced he was going to be the, the next big star. So, you know, I, I before I toot my horn, I, I, I need to say that, uh, you know, I've certainly had many more swings and misses than, than maybe uh, uh, Grand Slam home runs. But I, I do think that I was on Dylan G when other people were on Brad Holt. Um, I jumped off the Wilmer Flores bandwagon before anyone else. Um, I think you could say the same thing about Reese Havens. People were still holding out hope for him, and I had given up on him. Uh, after the big uh, uh, R.A. Dickey trade, uh, everyone was all excited about the catcher, but I ranked Syndergaard above the catcher, so I don't think very many people were doing that at that time. And then uh, we talked about Jordan Humphreys earlier, and he was on my... Uh, uh, top prospect list before his big year in the SAL so I don't think that uh, anybody else can say that and uh, you know just because we mentioned him already I think five years ago I told you that Patrick Mazika was nothing special so <laughs> you know there's uh, there's a couple for you well, I, I certainly anticipated, uh, you know, getting some heat from Mazika, uh, and I also anticipated Jordan Humphreys, because I do recall you being on Jordan Humphreys uh, well before I was uh, aware of him. Uh, the other one I recall was uh, being the only only Met fan to bemoan the loss of uh, Colin McHugh when he left the Mets organization um, for basically free. So... Um, Every hey, once in a didn't while. we get uh, Eric Young Jr. for him? Uh, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, uh, one of them was uh, DFA'd, and I, I honestly don't remember which one it was. But uh, one of them was DFA'd, and then they were, worked out the trade that way. Yeah, it just seemed a, a real shame because he had shown uh, some solid pitching in his time in the Mets, and then they let him go for, for more or less nothing. All right. We've hit the time in the podcast where we go with crazy predictions. Uh, so we're going to uh, discuss a prediction for this upcoming season, and we're going to uh, go back and forth, uh, see whether or not we believe one another is crazy. My only caveat for this particular uh, show is that we have to choose our prediction from the top 50 prospect list. So uh, I'll go first, because you usually go first. And uh, my my crazy prediction is is one that uh, I, I'm I'm becoming more and more uh, confident I'm not crazy on, and that's that I expect uh, the the top four sort of new names from 2019, and that that would be Alvarez, Wolf, Allen, and Beatty to all begin the year in the South Atlantic League with uh, full season baseball. Uh, you are certainly more uh, in tune to how the the opening day rosters for the various uh, minor league levels are going to shake out than I am. Uh, certainly, uh, Alvarez, I would expect to be in in uh, in Colombia, and uh, Beatty uh, certainly wouldn't surprise me either. 
I guess if if one of those was to to not was to be held back for Brooklyn, I'd expect it to be one of the pitchers. So um, crazy, mm, no, at least not all of the way. Um, I, I'd I'd say that uh, I'd, I'd say there's a good chance. I'd say that uh, I expect at least three of the four to be in in full season ball. Okay, so perhaps Wolf is the only one that's that's a little bit crazy on that. Or it right. could be Allen. They may they may just prefer, you know, the, uh, a while there. The the Mets really like to have their stars be in Brooklyn. So I could I could certainly see them uh, slow playing uh, either one of those guys. All right. Well, let's hear your crazy prediction. So on on my list of the fifty top prospects, there's twenty two pitchers on the list, and my prediction is that. Not one of those 22 pitchers will throw a pitch in the majors this year. Oof. Well, I, I think that you have at least a little bit of craziness because there are a number of pitchers in your in your 22 pitchers for the top 50 that uh, would at least be considerations to come up for, uh, you know, just just a little bit of time. Uh, there's certainly a chance, and the, the Mets certainly at the moment have depth in starting pitching thanks to signing uh, two starting pitches, pitchers instead of one. But I think that to have none of those top 50 pitchers uh, show up in the, uh, in the majors at all, I think that's pretty crazy. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you certainly mentioned the, the fear that somebody like... Uh, um, uh, uh, Adonis Uceda or a uh, Riley Gilliam comes up and, and throws five innings. I mean, th- those that that's certainly on the table. I mean, I don't re- recall what the number of uh, pitchers that the Mets used last year, somewhere around 30. And uh, uh, hopefully it won't be quite that many this year, but you never know. It could be. And, uh, you know, we, we're not going to have Chris Mazza to kick around anymore. So <laughs> it, it could be one of those other guys. But, you know, you, you try to, to come up with a, a prediction that uh, doesn't seem likely, but it, at least there's a, a rationale behind it. And hopefully with the, some of the offseason acquisitions like Batances and, and Brack and, and Waka, that the uh, the bullpen is a little deeper than, than it has been in the past. And uh, who knows, maybe the guys will actually stay healthy and productive this year and they won't have to dip quite so far into the minor league system. Well, and I think you hit upon the exact name that I would have uh, predicted to, to, to break your prediction, and that's Riley Gilliam, who I think at some point will pitch for the Mets in 2020. Well, Gilliam, uh, you know, he certainly has uh, all, of the, all, all of the boxes checked. He's, uh, he was uh, a tremendous uh, collegiate closer at a, at a major uh, program at Clemson. And uh, he's pitched in the upper levels of the of the minor league system already. Uh, didn't have great success last year in AAA, but turned around and had a very nice year in in the Arizona Fall League this year. So he's certainly not any threat to make the 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 opening day roster, but he's certainly somebody who could come in and and uh, get a call later in the season, especially if the uh, the, the bachelors and Rames do their self implosion job again. Yeah, I think that that's uh, pretty likely. All right, so 
Uh, as as a blog, we've talked a lot about Andres Jimenez and what he did this past year. His uh, his regular season was pretty disappointing. His Arizona Fall League was pretty phenomenal. I I don't want to necessarily even talk about what we expect him to do in 2020, where he will probably play most of his time in AAA, although he may begin the year in AA once again. What I want to focus on is 2021. Where do you see Andres Jimenez in 2021? Well, um, you know, ideally he would be uh, part of the middle infield combo in in some co- combination with uh, Ahmed Rosario, but uh, there's going to be uh, three more seasons of the Robinson Cano uh, show going on, and I really don't see that the the Mets cutting him uh, at least at the start of the the 2021 season. So, you know, I, I think we have to assume that. Um, Last year was a little bit of a, of a blip for Jimenez, and he comes back in 2021 and, and gets back on the uh, on on the star track that he appeared to be on earlier. So I'm I'm gonna say he's uh, uh, spending the majority of the year in Queens in some kind of backup role. Okay. Uh, any any chance that you might see Jimenez? Let's say Rosario continues to to look better as he did in the second half of the year. Any chance that the Mets uh, start to to play with the idea of Jimenez in center field? Um, a chance, sure. I I I term it uh, single digits, probably low single digits at that. Um, I don't know if they necessarily. Uh, view him as uh, somebody who they absolutely must get that bat into the lineup. And that's usually what drives those uh, position changes is how much they think of the bat. Uh, I, I like Jimenez. I, I think that his his bat is certainly good enough to be a, a second baseman or a shortstop in, in the major league level. I don't know if it's enough to actually cause him to, to switch to the outfield. Okay. So... Uh, when we were talking about Vientos earlier, uh, you, you named a number of the younger players that have joined the Mets over the past uh, year, and we're both really enamored with a number of these guys. So I'd like to get your thoughts on a number of them. Uh, obviously, Francisco Alvarez, Josh Wolf, Brett Batty, and Matthew Allen, who was, of course, your number one prospect. And uh, just sort of uh, elucidate for people what made Matthew Allen stand out as a number one prospect over Francisco Alvarez, Brett Batty, and the others? Well, first off, I, I think that we should have a, a give credit where credit is due part uh, of the segment here. And I don't remember how early it was during the short season leagues, but it was very early last year. And, uh, you were very excited uh, about uh, Alvarez, and you told me at that point that Alvarez was a top five prospect uh, for the club, and, and at the time I didn't believe it, but I, I think that was one of the, the rare times that you were ahead of the curve and you were absolutely right. So, you know, I like to give you grief over the Patrick Mazika picks you've made throughout the years, but, you know, if I'm going to do that, I need to be fair and, and give you credit for recognizing Alvarez and and how special what he was doing last year was and uh, you were one of the first if not the first person I heard to to mention him in in, in that type of uh, stratosphere so nice job well thank you very much it's it's pretty easy when 
the player has the first couple of games the the way that Alvarez had his first couple of games. It was very easy to get uh, blown away by that kind of performance. I think that uh, he was averaging an extra base hit a game for his first five games. Well, the other thing that I think we have to keep in mind for, for Alvarez in 2020, and, and we had several uh, opportunities to see this in action last year, is when a, a guy goes and puts up a, a really nice offensive season in Kingsport, and then all of a sudden his next level is either at Brooklyn or at Columbia, and those are much, much uh, harder uh, environments for a hitter to prosper in. And, you know, we saw that with Mauricio. We, we saw that with with uh, Vientos, and uh, we certainly saw it with uh, Newton uh, last year, guys who had, had, had really good seasons uh, in in the, the Appy, and then all of a sudden they're playing full season ball and, and, and life becomes a little bit harder. So I, I think we have to expect that we'll see a, a drop-off in offensive performance from Alvarez, at least at the start of the season. Sure. Um, some of the uh, the other guys, you know, you mentioned uh, in in your prediction about uh, Beatty ending up in Colombia, and, and I'm I'm certainly uh, hoping for that outcome as well. And and again, the same thing that we just said about Alvarez would would certainly hold uh, hold true for for Beatty as well. And you know, we we don't really like to talk about it much, but I wonder how escaping Colombia actually worked out in the favor of uh, Jared Kalenic, who had such a, a good year. Um, West Virginia, I believe, is the affiliate, uh, the affiliate in the Sally that they ended up playing with uh, last year, and he, he just cruised through that. And I wonder if he would have had the same success if he had been uh, forced to play his home games in Columbia. Yeah, the, the Mets got out of Savannah, which I thought was a particularly bad stadium for, for offense, and it doesn't seem like Columbia is any better. And you, know, we still come back to the to the two pitchers. I mean, where do you place Allen and and where do you place Wolf? And you know, the the Mets do a lot of things that that certainly make you t- uh, tear your hair out and 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 question their sanity. But they're very good at developing pitchers. And I think this is going to be a a, a situation where if they look at all of the things and they say that Wolf is ready for the promotion and they want to hold. Uh, Allen back for uh, time and extended spring training. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay with with that decision on their part, whatever that decision ends up being. Um, you know, it may be that one of them needs a little more time refining their off seat their off speed pitches, and and if so, extended spring training is the place for that to happen. So we'll see what happens with uh, those two. Um, you know, I, I personally, I think that uh, the the two breaking pitches or the the two off speed pitches for uh, Allen are a little more advanced than Wolf. But you know, I'm um I haven't brought back to back Cy Young Award winners uh, to to the majors either. So I'm certainly willing to give the the Mets the benefit of the doubt on that one. Okay. Well, uh, someone else published a, a list recently, a little publication called Baseball America, and they published the top 10 prospects for the Mets that they have. Um, now, there was nothing too surprising about their list. I'll read it out for you. You have Ronnie Mauricio as their number one, Francisco Alvarez number two, Brett Beatty, Matthew Allen, Andres Jimenez, Mark Vientos, Thomas Sapuki, Josh Wolf, Kevin Smith, David Peterson. Does anything about this list stand out to you? 
Um, well, um, they they didn't have uh, Freddy Valdez in there, did they? Uh, I don't think I heard you mention. No, Freddy Valdez did not make their top ten. So uh, I think that that's probably the the one that, that jumps out the the most to me, because you know following the trend that we talked about earlier, you know follow the money. And uh, he was one of the, the big signings a couple of years ago and uh, had a, a very strong season in the Gulf last year. I mean, in, in the Dominican and then got a late call up to the Gulf. So, I mean, that's pretty much right on, on target for where you want your 17-year-old guy to be. So I'm very happy with, uh, with Valdez, and, and I think he deserves uh, consideration. And it used to be that, that Baseball America was so much on scouting, and, and they tended to uh, ignore some of the actual results, and it seems like maybe that worm is turning a little bit, because in years past, certainly Valdez would have been, would have been on their list. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason that Valdez falls off their list is that they felt obligated in some sort of way to have an upper minor league presence beyond Jimenez and Zapuki. So they felt sort of obligated in a way to put Kevin Smith and David Peterson 9 and 10, where uh, Valdez probably would have uh, been justified taking either one of those positions. You know, we didn't really talk about Peterson a whole lot, and, and it's weird because he's got the, the first-round pedigree, but I think a lot of people consider him uh, a, a disappointment. And, you know, some of the, the, the luck categories haven't been uh, smiling on him. You know, he, his peripherals are, are, are really good. You know, you want your pitcher to do two things. You want him to get strikeouts, and you want him to keep the ball on the ground. And, and Peterson does both of those things well. So I, I, I had him 10, and uh, certainly not going to bash uh, B.A. for putting him in their top 10 as well. No, I don't disagree. I think that uh, you, you could put Freddy Valdez into that ninth spot, and I would agree with uh, every single one of their predictions at that point. Smith is uh, an interesting guy because um, this time last year he was one of those guys who was on the back end of my list, you know, and and uh, there were some things to like about him. I mean, he was the the big uh, the lefty who threw hard from a major college program, and then he really took uh, a leap forward last year. Uh, personally, I don't see him as as top ten material yet. I mean, certainly he puts in. Uh, uh, a year like he did last year, and, and there's no doubt about it. But uh, there's still just a, a little bit of hesitation. But I think he jumped from, I think he was 48th on my list, 48th uh, prior to 2019, and then 15 prior to this year. So um, certainly one of the success stories. What was he, a seventh-round pick, I want to say? Eighth-round yep. pick, something like that. Something like that, and, you know, he, he's he's come up quite a way in a single year. An interesting uh, just... Uh, Perhaps uh, means nothing, but in the last couple of years, uh, I know that the Mets have not been very heavy on left-handed pitching at the upper levels of the minor leagues, and now you have three left-handed pitchers that are, are if not starting the year in AAA, should be on the cusp of AAA, and that's the Pookie, Smith, and Peterson. So that's that's got to be a little bit exciting. Well, and uh, we don't know the status of his comeback, but you could throw Colome in t- into that uh, mix as well, right? That's very true. I think that I, I have him starting a rehab assignment somewhere somewhere down in, in the Florida area, but uh, I think that he certainly will come back up to at least Binghamton very quickly. 
So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm not hung up on the, the lefty versus the the righty thing, and uh, I'm looking it up now because two seconds after it came out of my mouth, it's just like Colome is not a lefty, is he? And looking it up now, and and uh, he is uh, a six foot six right-hander. So I like the six foot six. I think that's more important than the, the lefty or righty thing. So I apologize, Colome, not a left-hand pitcher. Oh, I, I I forgive you if you if you forgive me for Mazika. <laughs> I don't know. That's asking an awful lot. So, but when I did hear that he was going to be one of the guys who uh, was going to get the the invite into the major leagues, I was happy for in major league camp in spring training. I was happy for you because you know that might be the highlight of his career. It could be the highlight of his career. Maybe he hits you know whole bunch of home runs in in spring training. You don't know. I could be right. <laughs> I won't uh, be. That would have been that would have been a better that would have been a more crazy prediction. Yeah, that uh, hits 10 home runs and beats out Nito for the backup catcher job. <laughs> oh, God, that would be the worst defensive catcher uh, duo ever. Wilson Ramos and Patrick Mazika. Well, it's not really a minor league question, but just something, I guess, that, that makes me go, hmm. When, when the Mets acquired Ramos, I mean, we weren't expecting a great defensive guy. I mean, we knew the limitations because of his size, but he was... He had a real nice uh, caught stealing rate, and then it seemed like every throw he he made last year, trying to nab a base runner, bounced, and it's just like I I, I don't get it. What happened? I mean, it was that way with uh, Darno, it was that way with Plawicki, and then it was that way with Ramos, and it's just like, geez, Louise, make a throw on the fly, give your give your middle infielder a chance. I mean, uh, it, it could very well be that there's a curse of Mike Piazza hanging over the Mets, and <laughs> we will never have a, a starting catcher who can put uh, both things together uh, and show a, a plus arm with a plus bat. But you know, we can we can hope and we can dream. Uh, you know, the player that we talked about a number of times, Francisco Alvarez, he is supposed to to be both an offensive and defensive catcher. So. Perhaps uh, a couple years down the road, we will have a catcher who can not only hit, but also reach second base on a fly. That would be nice. And uh, uh, I, don't, I don't recall what his caught stealing numbers were last year. The thing that jumped out at me was the, the amount of pass balls he allowed. It was something like 15 in 225 innings, which is, that's, that's horrible. So uh, hopefully he's working on that. Yes. That could also be the uh, the Kingsport pitchers who were a little bit wild, as I recall from from the uh, the walk numbers. So, yeah, I don't think that there was anybody who just stamped themselves as a stud there from the from the Kingsport Kingsport uh, rotation there. So you 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 may have hit the nail on the head there. All right. Uh, well, Brian, you, you've you've reached the end of my questions, and and you've you've managed to survive. I congratulate you. Um, any 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 parting thoughts for the the viewers at home? Well, one thing that that we didn't discuss, and and it it, it may not lend itself well to a, a thirty second answer, but I, I I do think that we should mention the the uh, discussions, let's call them, going on between major and minor league baseball, uh, where uh, MLB supposedly wants to eliminate uh, forty two teams. And uh, two of those would be Mets affiliates in, in Binghamton and uh, the Kingsport affiliate. So there, there hasn't been uh, much talk that I've been aware of here lately on it. 
but I have no doubt that they're under discussions and I don't think that the the number will be end up being 42 but it wouldn't surprise me if half of those teams did end up getting the axe so I, I just think as as two guys who who follow the minor league system I mean this is certainly going to be a, a change in in the way things how they're run well there's there's a couple things there that that make it make sense and that is uh, that the the double a affiliate for the Mets would become Brooklyn and having been to both stadiums a number of times Brooklyn which is the the short season a affiliate is a much nicer stadium than the Binghamton Stadium and it's sort of like you know you got promoted to to the worst confines um, get to, to live in the frozen north uh, with with not much to do up in Binghamton or you get to, to be down in Brooklyn right near the city right near the, the home team so I think that the Mets would really like to have their double-a affiliate be so close um, and if I had to guess which of those two teams that the Mets would end up losing, I would say that uh, Binghamton would be the easier one for them to part with because uh, I don't think that um, the players as, as a whole really like playing up there. Uh, that certainly wouldn't surprise me uh, that the players uh, aren't, aren't enamored with Binghamton. I don't think it's uh, one of the... The, the nicer parks as far as uh, amenities for either fans or players. But to me, I, I wonder if this is going to be one of those things where, you know, MLB may have the uh, uh, the noblest intentions in mind, but if they're really going to try to eliminate 42 minor league teams, I imagine that politics will end up, uh, like real, like Washington, D.C. politics will end up... Uh, uh, having a say in, in this before all is said and done. I wouldn't be surprised in the least on that. And uh, while we're, we're talking about teams that are folding, uh, just in a little bit of sad news, the uh, Newark Bears stadium, which uh, never got, got placed with a, a New York affiliate team, uh, but would, would have been the perfect uh, location, was a very nice stadium. That recently got torn down in Newark. So um, there's you're, you're seeing a lot of these these sort of independent league teams struggling to survive so i don't i don't know what's going to happen to all these ballparks across the country if the major league pulls out of them i think that these areas of of the country may just lose baseball you know when they first instituted the plan uh mlb was talking about having those uh uh, teams that were no longer part of a affiliated ball uh coming together to form some type of uh uh, new independent league, and I'm I'm not sure uh, how feasible that is, but they were at least admitting that they would pulling out would be a problem uh, with the, the the creation of the dream league or whatever they were calling it. Yeah, I I, I can't I can't really say. Um, I know that uh, having been out to Binghamton, I know that the people of Binghamton would be really upset to see their team go. Um, but it's it's just it's real hard not to see uh, why teams uh, don't necessarily want to uh, subsidize a, a ballpark that's not convenient to the players necessarily and not convenient to uh, the team. Well, um, Binghamton just got new ownership not terribly long ago, right? Like five years or so ago. That so, is correct. Yes. Um, I wonder how much 
they've put into to trying to upgrade. And a lot of time with these, especially with these older minor league parks, there's only so much that you can do. You, you know, you're fighting with your with one hand tied behind your back. But if they've been there and they've been trying to to do what they can given the circumstances, you know, I hope that's taken into consideration. Well, I, I, I think that all things will be taken into consideration, and I think that the the optics are pretty bad for baseball to come in and axe 42 teams. I think that, that that would leave baseball looking pretty bad in the public eye. So I think that they're going to have to come up with another solution. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you see uh, each, each team across the leagues probably shedding at least one of their minor league teams uh, and baseball trying to uh, to make it look better by creating that quote unquote dream league uh, for for the new independent teams that they're creating. So if the the Mets lose two affiliates, will we be able to do top fifty list next year? Uh, we'll be able to do a top fifty list next year. Uh, as as my um, my post a couple of weeks ago uh, indicated, the real effect if the Mets lose two teams is that you're going to have to promote players aggressively. You no longer have the ability to sort of uh, leisurely allow a player to develop in the in the early phases of the minors. You need to, you know, they get their introductory league and then they have to move on the next year. And if they're not ready to move on, I don't know what a team does with them. Sells them to the Dream League. Sells them to the Dream League. Uh, well, I mean, maybe they'll do something like hockey and let 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 uh, teams draft players and and send them to college anyway. That would be a, a really interesting thing to to have happen. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's beyond the scope of of this podcast, but but certainly uh, uh, with what's going to happen with the NBA getting rid of what they're one and done is certainly going to have some. Uh, uh, unintended consequences for things like the G League, so it, it'll be it'll be curious to see how it all shakes out. But uh, you know, I, I like uh, yeah, I'm I'm torn because uh, I'm certainly pro minor league and and I like having the the ability to to check in on guys for seven farm clubs like the Mets have now. But you you do wonder if it it makes sense from a, uh, either a financial or even an operational point of view i mean do, are they do they really need to have seven minor league teams well i mean that that is that is certainly uh something to 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 look at there's quite a few players if you go through the full seven teams that you look at them and and there's absolutely no shot that that player will ever see a a second of major league uh time so wow and i thought we were going to go through this without bashing on tim tebow listen uh he got a, a major league invite too uh, maybe they were going to make him and Mazeka roommates. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the small room at the end of the the hall that no one wants. <laughs> oh, we're so mean. Listen, Patrick, we don't mean it. We we have full faith in you uh, succeeding. At least one of us does. <laughs> all right, Brian. I think that's all the Patrick Mazeka uh, bashing that I can take for a single night. All right, well, thanks for doing this, David. Not a problem, Brian. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.